Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Uh, today, we are joined by Michael, our resident Ephesiologist. Myself, I am Andrew Johnson, uh, Associate Pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And Michael, please tell us who is our wonderful guest that we get to talk to today. Yeah, well, we have Dietrich Schindler on our program uh, today, but we are missing Matt Till. I'm wondering, did we lose him at Exponential? We did not lose him. I actually did confirm. uh, This is the best part about when you move places that people who are in cold weather want to visit. Um, He just keeps having family travel to visit him in Florida. And so he's got family in town again. And so I think that is possibly the best reason uh, not to make a podcast because you're enjoying family and friends from out of town. So that's where he is today. Well, good. Good. Good to know that we haven't lost him. But speaking of exponential, we have, uh, as I mentioned, Dietrich Schindler on our program, Dr. Dietrich Schindler on our program. He's the author of a book called The Jesus Model, talking about uh, what it looks like to plant a church like Jesus. And uh, not only that, he himself is a very experienced church planter, has lived in Germany for multiple decades, but we'll let Dietrich fill us in a little bit more on that. And he's also a part of Exponential Europe. So I'm super excited to have him on with us today, Andrew, to talk about things that are going on in Europe and and to talk about his uh, recent book. So Dietrich, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you today. Yeah. And it's as Dietrich and I have gotten to know each other a little bit, it's always fun to, to uh, uh, recognize that we have mutual friends. Uh, we, we've probably come this close to each other, just <laughs> inches away from each other and didn't even know it. But uh, it's always fun to come across uh, people that share a heart and a burden for mm-hmm. the lost uh, around the world. And mm-hmm. And as as uh, our listeners know, I worked for many years in Europe, hmm. and Europe is certainly one of those places that has a desperate need for the gospel. So, Dietrich, uh, we're glad that you're on. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, and uh, and uh, your ministry. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, no, I'll start by saying no American in his right mind names his son Dietrich. I am the product <laughs> of German immigrant parents who immigrated in the mid-50s to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we had family that um, sponsored my parents. They were newly married. And I was born in Milwaukee, raised in a suburb there, uh, raised in a Lutheran background, came to Christ when I was 15, and God called me into ministry when I was 16. And my wife and I, we met at Bible College, Columbia Bible College, or CIU now, Columbia International University. After marrying there in 81, uh, we uh, did um, some master studies, MA and MDiv at uh, Trinity, and then we came to Germany as church planting missionaries in 1985, working under the um, auspices of the German Evangelical Free Church. And um, by the grace of God, we planted five churches, German-speaking churches. Then I became the head of church planting and evangelism department for the denomination. And our goal was to plant 100 churches in 10 years. Um, We didn't quite make it. We uh, got 80 churches in those 10 years, but still, the Lord was very kind and gracious to us. And um, and 
for about seven or eight years now, I've been a consultant for church planting in Europe on the board of Exponential Europe, working with NC2P on the board there too, National Church Planting Processes, and also working with M4. Um, I'm, I'm all over Europe, actually, um, probably in every month on an average in two or three different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, wow. Europe is but- my home. Germany is my home. We live in Frankfurt. Yeah, great. Oh, tell man. us a little bit about uh, the the context of Europe today. Uh, what are we seeing? How how do you see the church uh, progressing? Yeah, I think I, we're seeing two things. We're seeing uh, that the church is becoming um, more and more uh, enamored with secularism mm-hmm. on the one hand, and, and then on the other hand, the church is becoming more and more uh, vibrant in terms of planting new churches and being evangelistically uh, fit. Um, I'm, many people don't know this, but the um, the Church of England, the Anglican Church in England, has its own mission or, or bishop for for evangelism and church planting. Rick Thorpe is his name, and the um, Anglican Church wants to plant ten thousand churches in ten years, hmm. and um, just around the city of Birmingham. A thousand churches are to be planted, and they're aggressively doing that. So we're seeing God at the on the move, and yet we're wow. seeing also pushback by by Satan in the secular world. It, what does how does that manifest? That's exactly what my question was. I, I'm excited to hear about how this looks on the ground. Oh yeah, well, I mean, it's all about pra- being a practitioner. So how do you do theology practically on the ground among? People who are far from God, disciple making always begins with those who are not yet believers. Jesus said, "Go and make disciples of all nations." And the nations are those who do not yet believe in Him. They're heathen. They're they're living themselves. So disciple making needs to start with the lost and with their context, but in a way that would um, intersect their lives meaningfully and um, arrest their hearts and then minds for the gospel, and then out of that, plant new churches. And some of this that I'll be talking about this morning um, comes from my newest book, which is Shift, The Road to Level 5 Church Multiplication that came out this year with Exponential uh, USA and and Europe. Uh, Dave Ferguson writes the foreword to this. Um, So very, very, yeah, we love Dave. Yeah, very, very, I would say contrarian ways of going about planting churches. Mm. Well, you've intrigued me on two levels. I'm I'm leaning in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I am curious about how the church is becoming increasingly secular in Europe uh, on the one hand. And uh, so let's start there. What what does that look like uh, as you see the church becoming increasingly secular? Yeah, I think um, in in terms of the liberal church, um, the high church, Lutheranism in Germany, I know, uh, is becoming more and more um, a friend of popular culture. So um, you can have homosexual um, uh, pastors, men and women in the church. That's not a problem anymore. even pietistic groups are, are being opening themselves up to that kind of situational ethics, I would call it. And um, it's, it's really taking, um, taking the road of secularism and applying it to the, the local church, which is, I think, very, very unfortunate. There's no contrast to 
a popular culture when a mm-hmm. church um, gets aligned with secularism. So, yeah. uh, are you seeing yeah. that on a um, on on a leadership level only, or is that something that you would say is pervasive through the church? Because I, I know that that sometimes uh, you've got some people. Uh, this is what is happening in the pulpit, or this is what is happening in leadership. Uh, but those are not always the same fights or passions of the people who yeah. are part of the church. I think it's both, um, Andrew. It's both um, on a leadership basis and also in a local church setting. Um, more and more, there's a push to acquiesce to popular culture and to say, okay, we're going to be not only loving and opening opening ourselves up to these communities, but accepting and you can become a follower of Jesus and you don't have to repent basically of of your lifestyle and and um, you can remain who you are and you can have a home in our church which I think is very unfortunate I think we need to love them and yet we need to say there's something beyond your own sexuality or your choices that God has for you that is much more delightful and beautiful than what you know Mm-hmm. And some mm-hmm. of the things that you're talking about, obviously, um, this this topic of discussion is certainly not uh, foreign to us here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that this is kind of the biggest thing, uh, is this, or is this just one of the examples of the things that you're seeing? This is just one of the examples, I think, Andrew. But uh, the church, in large, even in America, I think, is being marginalized by popular culture. And um, it's not only being um, marginalized, but there's a there's an on there's a growing hostility against the church and against evangelical Christians um, in both Europe and in the United States. So I think uh, we and I th- I believe too also with the leadership failure that we've been seeing in many big um, movements in North America and around the world, God is cleansing His church and He is. He is, I think, preparing a new generation of leaders that are, are holy unto him and want to um, not make their names great, but want to make Jesus great. And he's he's cleaning house right now. But mm-hmm. it's very painful for those of us in the evangelical movement to experience that. But that's, I think, what's happening. So would you be one who sees that uh, the American church is uh, hard on the heels of the European church? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you want to look at where America will be, the the American church um, in 10 years, you have to look to Europe. And uh, the issues that we're facing over there are the issues that you'll face in 10 years, maybe even sooner. Mm Hmm. Well, that's that's not very exciting, is it? <laughs> but there's hope, Michael. There's hope, um, and and I mean, I think my book um, Shift is full of hope uh, for yeah, the church. Yeah, tell it. Tell us a little bit about that book. That's the one I didn't read, and I should oh. have read that one instead. <laughs> yeah, well, you still have a chance to read it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not off the shelves yet, folks. It's not off the shelves yet. <laughs> exactly. Well, it talks about twelve shifts that we need to make in terms of uh, church planting to get to movement. Mm. And um, so shift from organizational church planting to organic church planting. So how do we get from organizing church plants, which is what we do in North America and also in Europe, to organic church plants, conversion-based church plants. All the the churches that were planted in the New Testament were conversion-based. 
And we've gotten away from that. And so how do we get back to the New Testament model, which is conversion-based church plants? Shift from big to small. So how do we make that shift? I think North American churches are enamored by everything that is big. And we need to get back to what God really loves and honors, which is the small thing that gets um, replicated or reproduced in a in a rapid manner, but in a small uh, in a small size. Uh, shift from from cognition to emotion hmm. is a chapter three, which is very radical, I think. But um, Tim Keller says, and I quote him. Christianity has to make emotional sense before it makes intellectual sense. Hmm. And so how, how can we um, move away from a cognitive approach of presenting the gospel that would really touch the heart in order to touch the, the mind and then the, the belief system? And I've developed actually um, a, po- a course for postmodern secular people called My Life Workshop. And you can find it on the, the web, uh, mylifeworkshop.net. And it's really totally different than anything that's out there. Um, it is, um, it's based on narcissism. <laughs> so it doesn't start with doctrine, uh, which doesn't interest most non-Christians. It starts with the life of the non-Christian. And as they look at themselves, they discover things about themselves that they've never seen before. And then they extrapolate or we lead them to extrapolate into the gospel out of their own lives. So it's a... It's a, actually a pain-based approach of evangelism, mm. um, and it's very powerful. Um, so we've done it over a thousand times in Europe, e- actually even in the Ukraine. The Ukrainians love it, and they have done it thousands of times before the war started. So hundreds and hundreds of people have come to know Jesus through My Life Workshop. Mm, neat. That's neat. Yeah. And you said it begins with pain. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's very short. It's only six units, um, an hour and a half each unit. It's based on six metaphors that I've developed: coin, book, bridge, music, band-aid, and treasure. And coin is just um, you know, we show a video of how, how a coin is minted, and people are sitting at tables, four or five to a table. They get to know one another first. Um, you know, what are their names? What do their names mean? Um, what are they good at? What were the professions of their grandparents? So they get to know each other. These are total strangers usually. And then we um, and they have a packet of little yellow post-its in front of them and a and a pen. We show a video of how a coin is minted. Mm. And we talk about Steve Jobs. And um, Steve said um, that he went to a community college in California and he was bored with every class that he took with one great exception. It was a ca- class on the history of how letters developed and calligraphy. And he said that class was so powerful that it opened up to him a new world of the beauty of design. And he said that class, you can find it replicated in every Apple product that is pr- uh, pr- produced today in the world. Yeah. So we're all like Steve and we're all like coins. And the first assignment that the people have at their tables is to brainstorm for 10 minutes to write down on the post-its the people and events that have positively shaped them to become who they are. And after they do that, they share those with one another at the table. And then we show a coin and we say a coin has two sides. We just talk to the one side of the coin. The other side of the coin are the people and events that have painfully shaped us to become who we are. Mm -hmm. And the facilitator will 
give a couple of examples from his own life or her own life. And then we ask them to do the same exercise. And after that, we say, now you have the right to remain silent. You don't have to say anything. And um, But if you've worked through some pain and can talk about it, then share that with uh, people at your table. And uh, what is said at the table stays at the table. So it goes very, very deep right away. And mm. people connect emotionally on the level of pain. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I like that idea a lot to get people to connect on that emotional level. Um, Dietrich, you mentioned that you work with an organization or, or, or kind of a network, a movement network called M4. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. What, what yeah. is it about? Yeah, M4 is, um, is sort of a very simple training um, movement in Europe developed by Uvid Auckland, a Norwegian Lutheran leader, my friend. In fact, I dedicate shift to Uvid. Um, he is the most networked person I've ever met. If you ever seen if you ever see him with the Pope together, somebody will ha- eventually say, "Hey, who's that with Uvid?" <laughs> He's so popular. Um, so he developed this method of church planting teams that would come together and um, four times in two years, so separated by six months, and they would get some training. They would talk about how they would implement that training, develop action plans pray for one another, share each other's action plans, and get input from other teams. And so it's a way to uh, very simply train people to do um, uh, how to to make Jesus your your Lord. The four M's are master, mission, disciple making, and movement. Uh, So um, the two days of training and and interaction are dedicated to teams that come together, not just the leaders of teams, but entire church planting teams Mm. to get training and develop their own action plans. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going on in multiple countries. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and you're seeing the multiplication of, uh, uh, of disciples and I'm assuming also the multiplication of churches as a result. Yes. Yes. So we're, we're seeing churches that have multiplied or uh, reproduced in the third generation and now on the cusp of the fourth generation. If we get to a fifth generation, I believe that we've gotten to a movement. Um, and so we're, we're on the cusp of, of the fourth generation right now. So the fruit of an apple tree is not uh, an apple. It's another apple tree that's, that's basically reproduction, mother-daughter church planting. We need to get away from that and start to count the generations that we've spawned from the first cause. Mm. So, um, yeah, I talk about my, my wife's grandparents who had been married over 75 years. Um, the grandfather died when he was 105. Grandmother died when she was 97. They left, when they died, they left a progeny of 150 people. And we have a picture of them holding a baby in the fifth generation on their arms, and I say to people, did this old couple generate that baby? And the answer is, of course, no. But the answer is, of course, yes, indirectly, yes. And that is the power of, of movement. So indirect influence, which is also one of the chapters in Shift, how do we get to movement generationally? 
So then here's my question. Um, I I find it so funny. A lot of the things that you're talking about helping church planters uh, understand those four M's, obviously this is, that's organizational specific, but um, we're all still trying, I feel in the U S still trying to answer that question. How do we go from one to two generations? Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe even that outlier, that second to third generation. Uh, So this is, I'm asking you a question. I don't know a whole lot of us know the answer to what are the struggles or the things that you are seeing that are unique to going from third to fourth generation and then from fourth to fifth generation? What are the things that are unique that you are observing uh, where you are? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the unique things, um, Andrew, is to get to that place, you have to go beyond just doing ministry, even mother-daughter church planting well. And you need to become a training institute. So the church planting um, uh, local ministry needs also, uh, as it's planting churches, to become a resource center for raising up leaders from within and from without that are invited to do internships. So um, it's basically, you're not just doing ministry, you're helping others be proficient in doing it. And then I think, too, one of the keys is, and I write about this in Shift, um, is timed release. So how long does it take to recover from your last church plant in order to plant the next church? Um, and I think that um, in, in, our, in, in my denomination in Germany, the free church, it takes, takes good church planting churches seven years to do that. That's way too long. And we need to get it down to about three years, I think. Um, so sometimes when you get a cold, you... Um, go to the pharmacy and and you buy um, medicine and you f- you find a, a capsule and you swallow the capsule, but the capsule has many, many tiny time time release capsules of medicine. So some release their strength right away into your bloodstream, some after an hour, some after two hours. So the same the same metaphor I like to talk about in terms of timed release, when do you release after you plant your church, the next church? So it's not what you're doing currently. What are you going to do after that and, and how soon? So if, if we do it in, in three-year increments, the first year we'll, we'll prayerfully discover our next church planter from within, somebody who's proven himself or herself. Then we will train that person in the second year. In the third year, they will have responsibility to lead some part of the church plant. And then they will get a fishing license, as Bob Logan likes to rephrase it. Uh, they can take up to 10 or 15 people, 20 people away from the mother church to plant then the next church. So every three years, a church would be planting a new church. And those churches will be planting new churches as well. And when you say you're talking about, um, again, I think this was in reference to your book, talking about a contrarian style um, that doesn't so much look like or sound like all the the previous models of church planting or even what you started when you moved to Germany uh, to plant yeah. churches in the 80s. When you say contrarian, when you say uh, somebody sent out grabbing 10 or 15 people from the mother church and going to plant what does that next church plant look like? Is there is there a model in mind that you are seeing success with? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Great question. 
Um, yes, I think so. It, and it's disciple making. You know, the basis of, of uh, good church planting is making disciples. Um, so working with fat people, faithful, available, teachable, that's how you start. Uh, you always invest in fat people. And um, I talk about um, this in one of my chapters here in Shift, Shift from Big to Small. So generate mini churches or micro churches, three fat men getting together, three fat women getting together, always gender specific. If you mix the genders, what you don't get is openness and transparency because of the shame factor. And what they do is they do spiritual breathing. Each of the three will then read one chapter in the Bible a day. They'll agree on those chapters, and then they get together once a week, share how God has been speaking to them through the word of God, and then they will exhale. Exhale means they will tell one another how they have lived actually last week in the past tense. So where were they tempted and what did they do with the temptation? Did they secretly serve somebody without getting caught, which is reduces pride and elevates humility? Did they spend, uh, give people closest to them priority time? And the fourth question is, were they angry with somebody and did they remain angry? Mm. They do this, um, they do this every week for one month, and then they add a fourth person to their group, and that is a non-Christian. They ask the non-Christian to do what they do every week. And then after all told four months, they, they have a great meal in their town and then divide into two groups of two, and each group adds a fat person into their group, and the whole thing starts all over again. So you're, what you're doing is you have a model that is leaderless, that is very simple to do, and it is making disciples and evangelizing in one subset. It's a reproducible system that is better than the people that use it. I think that we have gotten too leadership-centered in the way that we do ministry. We need to get away from that and uh, generate systems for everyday normal people who are, you know, faithful, available, teachable to use and to do. Okay. Well, so now if I, I have somebody, yeah. Well, you've given me said, lots sorry. of thoughts. And so <laughs> first, first thought is um, when we were at Trinity, we had fat Thursday and it okay. was for faithful, available, teachable. So I'm just happy that somebody in this world grins and still uses fat, uh, in a in a lively way, uh, the second thing that you just stirred in my mind with with this model and the things of disciple making, um, I am all for leaderless uh, growth, that organic growth that is centered on Christ and, and focusing our attention there. Um, but we have talked about on the Ephesiology podcast when we look at um, the gospel, the good news of Jesus going forth, that sometimes. Um, it can also get a little rudderless if there are some, there are some, there's unhealth that is able to perk up. And when in a leaderless model, uh, somebody might not step in and say, Hey, this is actually dangerous. Hey, this is actually a problem. So how do you all in this model, uh, uh, as you are seeing disciples made, how are you able to help guide them back towards, I don't want to say quote unquote, correct doctrine as if I have the answers and you don't but something that is more along the lines of what Christ taught. Yeah, that's a great question, Andrew. And I, I would say you have to gather those who have started generate generated uh, many churches periodically and say uh, what's going well, what needs to be changed. 
And what do you need that you haven't gotten yet in order to be more fruitful? And by doing that, what you're you're doing is listening to them and listening to their challenges, listening to where they are at, um, and then providing correction or input uh, just in time, not just in case teaching or training. Um, um, a wonderful old book on this is Prepare Your Church for the Future, um, who was written by, oh, ah, well, I, his name escapes me now, but he used to be at the Fuller Institute. I'll look it but, up. Uh, pre yeah, Prepare Your Church for the Future is the best structural um, book I know on, on how to do small groups, and you can apply that to the mini churches as well. Carl George is his name. Carl George. Yeah. <laughs> you beat Great. me to it. Cause right when I found the answer, I was looking at the cover <laughs> and then you're like, ah, oh, Carl George. I was like, Oh, well there, there he has yeah. it. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. I would read everything that Carl George has written. It's just brilliant. As long as, as well as um, Lyle Schaller, who's no longer alive, but these are people who are just great thinkers of the past. And even what they're doing now is, just um just very very good mm -hmm. neat neat well dietrich this has been great what a treat to have you on the podcast and to hear about what the lord's doing in uh europe mm -hmm. uh it, it does bring us hope doesn't it to see yeah. that the church is multiplying disciples are being made even in very difficult soil mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely we're grateful for that thank you yeah yeah, you're right. And and there's every reason to be positive and to be upbeat and hopeful uh, for the church in Europe and in North America if we get away from a worship-centered Christianity and mm. worship service-centered Christianity and get more Jesus-centered and um, missional in our behavior. Yeah, great. Two books you've written. You talked about Shift. I'm yes. assuming that that's available on uh, Amazon or on a website. Right. As right. well as uh, the the Jesus model for right. uh, church planting, uh, yeah. both are accessible on uh, right. Amazon.com. Yeah, uh, Dietrich, if people want to get in contact with you, where would you point them? Uh, they can they can find me on the the web probably if they just Google my name or contact me through email. Dietrich G Schindler, Dietrich G Schindler at gmail.com. It's my email. Okay. Yeah. Great. I'd love to connect with anybody who's interested in knowing more. Well, Dietrich, thank you so much for being our guest today. Um, it has been a joy and I'm with Michael. I think we're, we're closing this podcast with a great amount of encouragement and excitement about what God is doing, how he is moving, uh, and certainly an encouragement how we can even take steps to respond faithfully. Uh, listeners, if you have been a part of this, please, we do encourage you pick up uh, Mr. Doctor, Dr. Schindler's book, uh, Shift, and uh, take some steps in your leadership, well, in, your, in you personally. And then if you are in a leadership position to begin to institute some of these shifts and, and move as Dr. Schindler is encouraging us uh, closer to that Jesus-centered model. Um, if you want to continue to engage with us doing theology in community with us we invite you to check us out on facebook or uh see kind of what's going on 
with a physiology beyond in the educational realm, go to masterclasses.physiology.com and see what God is doing to help prepare you and those you love for what it looks like to chase after Christ in this world and encourage others to do so. So for the Ephesiology podcast, for myself, for Michael, for Matt Till, and our guest Dietrich Schindler, thank you for joining us on the Ephesiology podcast. <laughs>